last time we talked a little bit about the importance of the first commandment in the small catechism and how Luther weaves it through the other Ten Commandments. Now we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the first commandment itself. Luther explains it in the first commandment as we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So Bob, the importance of the first commandment and particularly trust, we haven't really gotten to that much yet. As I read the large catechism, trust is really the overriding concern and focus of his explanation in the large catechism. I think you could even say it's the focus of human life. In that regard, I find it interesting that one of the most significant 20th century uh, uh, thinkers about what it means to be human, a psychiatrist named Eric Erickson, made trust a fundamental element in his explanation of what it means to be human. Eric Erickson is, is the psychologist who developed this eight stages of life theory that we go from, from one stage of life to another, more or less uh, chronologically, not in, in a lockstep, but, but at similar ages. Um, we move through eight stages of life, and at each we, we experience a kind of crisis. Uh, in which we refocus our identity. Uh, but, but life begins, and life is pretty much determined, according to Erickson, by our trust or mistrust of the world around us. And he associated being well-adjusted, that is, being, I would say, really human, um, with the ability to trust and, and to trust other people. I don't know if Erickson uh, believed in God. He was not a... He was not a Christian, um, but he, uh, he posited trust as the key element that enables human beings to get along with each other, which for him meant that they would have a, a well-adjusted life. And in a sense, what Luther says is that uh, God begins everything. He begins by speaking. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And as soon as, as Adam and Eve are in the garden, God wants to come and talk with them. And when they run away and don't want to talk with him, he pursues them. He wants that, that, uh, that conversation to go on in community with his human creatures. And Adam and Eve break that with their doubt of the word of the Lord. Their doubt turns them away into defiance, into, we might say, deafness. They just can't hear the word of the Lord anymore. And so Luther catches that in his explanation of God's demand, I suppose you could say, no other gods before me. He turns that, I suppose you could say, more or less external prescription, no gods coming in between you and me, inside us to look at our fundamental disposition, not just emotions, I think, but, but the fundamental disposition out of which our emotions come. And he says, our lives are to be lives of fear, love, and trust in God, above everything God has made. So this isn't just a question of uh, trust as a religious issue uh, for Christians. You're 
actually saying it as part of what it means to be a human creature. Yeah. I think when we wake up in the morning and put cereal in our bowl, we're trusting that nobody's poisoned us. When we get into our cars or get on the bus to go to work, we trust that, um, that the car's not going to explode. The bus is going to get us where we're going and more or less on time. Our whole lives are permeated by our need to trust. And if we can't trust, we get nervous, we get cranky. I suppose we get a whole lot worse. So trust is kind of fundamental to, to living the whole, the whole life, the whole human life, not just the Christian life, but the whole of human life. So Luther actually says our trust creates our gods. Uh, it's kind of a crazy thing to say. It's as though we're the ones who make our gods. Uh, but in a sense, that is what Luther wants to tell us. He wants to say that if you make yourself a false god, you're going to have a false way of living. Everything's going to be a little bit haywire or a lot haywire if you don't trust in the true God. What were some examples he gave from his own day and age? Well, he has some very interesting um, examples in, in the large catechism. Um, for instance, I, my eyes just fall uh, in paragraph 11 of his explanation to the first commandment in the large catechism. Look at what we used to do in our blindness. Anyone who had a toothache fasted and called on St. Apollonia. Those who worried about their house burning down appealed to St. Lawrence. And then he goes on to, to talk about examples uh, from ancient Roman times where people thought they could get riches and happiness, pleasure, the good life by venerating Hercules or Mercury or Venus or, or um, pregnant women worship Diana or Lucina and, and, and so forth. Uh, they, he was saying uh, these people trusted uh, in some god that they had invented, whether it was a, a Christian saint like Apollonia or, or St. Lawrence or whether it was uh, just a pagan god. People put their trust for things they needed. Luther says our God is the source of all good for us or um, for protection from things they were afraid of. Luther says our gods, whatever they may be, if they are invented or if, if our God is the true God, um, our God is there to be a haven in, in times of need, uh, a, a place person to whom we can flee um, when we need protection and safety and encouragement and, and help. Well, two thoughts then occur to me. On the one hand, the doctrine of creation becomes important again because you have the creator and you have the creature. And all these gods that you've identified really are creatures that we promote yeah. to the status of God. It's like the prophet says in that, mocking, uh, in that mocking chapter about these silly people who think that when they carve an idol, that idol will have some power in their lives. Um, it really does stem from, from the very fundamental idea of God as a creator, as the source of everything, the source of our lives and the source of everything that surrounds us in our life. Uh, we'll get to that in the first article of the Creed, of course. Right. The second thought that occurs to me then is how useful this might be 
for thinking about matters of evangelism even, or how we bring the gospel to our neighbor in this, that we are trying to find a point of contact with our neighbor, and that is done in part by trying to identify or help them identify what it is they're clinging to or where they are looking for uh, security or purpose or meaning. In other words, to identify their God yeah. with the goal of hopefully helping them understand or see whether or not this God is going to stand up and support them when things really get rough, whether that God is strong enough in a sense. Yeah. And when they see that it isn't, then we bring in the, uh, the, the gospel or a God who, because he's creator, can indeed hold us in his hands. Yes. Um, everybody needs something that binds life together. Uh, I know that, that the linguists say that our word religion comes from religare, which means to stand in awe of. And I suppose that's uh, right as, as in terms of the derivation of the word. But there's a related word in Latin, or a similar word, not a related word, but a similar word in Latin, religare, which means to bind together. And I really like that as, even if it's false, <laughs> I like it as a definition of religion. Um, because everybody needs something that's going to hold them up or hold life together for them. Uh, especially to use Erickson's key word in times of crisis, uh, the oh, Greek yeah. word krisis, judgment. Uh, life falls apart when God's judgment falls upon us. And I think you're right. At those points, people are able to hear the gospel in a way that they can't when, when their gods are working for them, when their false gods are working for them. Just a little footnote, incidentally, I think it's interesting that you and I, too, even as Christians, are polytheists. Um, that's why we have to repent every day, because we turn away from our Lord, and we try to find a substitute for him um, when we don't think he's responding to us correctly, or, or, or when we, we think we need a little extra divine insurance. Um, it's the nature of the sinner to be a polytheist, because no one single invented God will really work. And uh, so we've, we've got to have more than one source of, of security as, and source of all good. Or I like to say, as you referred to already, a source of our identity, somebody who says, I am your father, you are my child, somebody who gives us our place in the world, um, a sense of safety or security that we're going to be protected from evil, uh, and, and then a sense of, as you said, purpose, meaning, uh, goals in life. And if people don't have those, um, they're, they're, they're lost. Uh, they recognize they're lost. They don't always recognize they're guilty of doing something wrong. But when their old gods fail, they recognize that there's a big hole at the center of their lives. And so I think Luther is, you're right, it's a, this is an evangelism manual that we have here because we can always talk to people who are in crisis about what they have lost and about how they feel lost and about who wants to find them, and where they can find their way out of their lostness. That's very good. We, as we've looked at the large catechism, we've really focused on how the concept of trust permeates Luther's explanation. 
And certainly that comes out of his Reformation discovery of us being righteous by faith alone. I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball and at least ask, given the prominence of trust in the large catechism, why do you think it is in the small catechism Luther um, seems to emphasize the language we should fear and love? I've thought about those three words, fear, love, and trust, that he uses in the first commandment and then moves to just the two. Um, I don't think it was simply to make it easier for them to memorize. Um, but instead, I think that he probably saw trust as the underlying fundamental disposition of our lives. And our trust, or our failure to have something we can trust in, causes a couple of basic emotions. One of them's fear, one of them's love. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether Luther meant that feeling of grand awe with fear, or being terrified, being scared stiff. And maybe there's evidence, maybe he really did mean both, uh, that the experience of the sinner, even when we become God's children, still has contact with both of those kind of fundamental human um, emotions that are built on whether we're trusting or mistrusting the world around us. And then love is his basic design, uh, both for our, our relationship with him and for our relationship with one another. And so he moves out of, out of the basic disposition that defines our whole being to fearing and loving as the, um, as the emotional uh, basis then for the actions, for first of all the character that God shapes in us and then the actions that that character produces. I wonder another way of looking at it, and I like your fundamental disposition, but I also wonder whether between your awe and reverence and your terror in terms of the fear, if there might be a, a third possibility, namely that fear is simply, in a sense, taking God at his word. Mm -hmm. He means what he says, don't push it. And the reaction to that is, wow. Yeah, well, and my analogy would be is when my dad said be home by 15 minutes or be home by 11 o'clock or there will be consequences. <laughs> the proper response is, yes, sir, I'll be home at 11. Yeah. When I'm 15 minutes away from home and it's five minutes to 11, now that fear turns into terror. Yeah. So there's a sense where yeah. we take God's word seriously healthy respect maybe. Hmm. And I also wonder whether love and trust, if there is kind of a unity between them, I mean, when we love our neighbor, we're doing something helpful for our neighbor. When I love God, it's more of a, a longing for God, mm -hmm. a desire mm -hmm. for God, which would seem to run a little bit in the way of trust. Mm -hmm. So that the two actually come very close to one yeah, another. Yeah, just <clears throat> something Hope I've been Hope also uh, thinking about. can be a synonym in, in many instances in the Bible. True enough. Mm -hmm. Well, as you can see, there's much to talk about in connection with the first commandment. And we have hardly exhausted it, much less scratched the surface. Uh, but we are going to be moving on next to how the first commandment plays itself out in the second and third commandments and the remaining portions of the Decalogue as well.